morning we're still in 1 Corinthians, forever. <laughs> we're nearly there at the end. But we're going to look at Paul's life and see how grace um, touched his life and see what we can learn from that. So does that sound all right? We've got like one minute left or something, I don't know. So I'm going to speak really fast and uh, cut out all my jokes and stories. Sorry. Boo. I might still do one illustration, if you're lucky. <laughs> um, all right, so we're going to read. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be Bibles at the end. Quickly grab them and we'll go for it. It's First um, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. Basically, Paul is reminding the Corinthians once again of the basic gospel. And he says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, they're dead. Um, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And this is where we're focusing this morning. Verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it's I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. And when he's talking about they and them, he's talking about the other apostles. I worked harder than the other apostles. And really it doesn't matter if it's them or me that's telling you this news. Um, it's, it's the truth. And uh, he's calling them to believe that. So... Lord, I just pray this morning that as we're thinking about Paul's life and thinking about what it means to walk in grace, would you teach us, Lord, and would you change us? Amen. All right, everyone still with me? Give me a little wave at the back. (laughs) Brilliant. All right, so what does it look like to walk in God's grace? Where, Where do we even start? Well, number one, we need to embrace the grace. I'm in a bit of a rhyming mood this morning. Rhyming, it's going to be good, maybe. All right, embrace the grace. Here's a question. How on earth is it that Paul was able to stand up in front of a crowd of people and proclaim the name of Jesus with such boldness after all he'd done to the church? How dare he? How dare he do that? Was he not ashamed of what he'd done? I mean, listen to this list. He was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. He devoted his life to devastating, utterly ruining the church. He took great delight in finding those who belonged to the way and imprisoning them. He approved of and was responsible for the death of Stephen, a great Christian man full of the Holy Spirit. And actually, that event seemed to fuel uh, Paul's hatred of the church even more. And he went from house to house, dragging men and women off to prison because they were following Jesus. What on earth was God thinking when he gave Paul the revered title of apostle? Especially someone with a past like his, 
Can he even be respected after what he did? He really should be ashamed of himself. But the truth is, you know, Paul knows his past and he knows what he did. And actually, he describes himself as the least of all the apostles. He says, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. And so here's the miracle. That despite all of that, despite his past, letter after letter in the New Testament, Paul boldly and freely declares his apostleship, the call of God in his life, without shame. How is that even possible? How could he have done such terrible things and yet walk in such freedom in his life? Surely the shame of what he's done is too much to bear. Perhaps if it was one of us, we'd be thinking, can I really be forgiven for this? Is it possible that God would actually blot out the guilt? And we do that sometimes, don't we? We struggle to believe that we really are forgiven for that thing that we did in the past. And we can, we can go a whole lifetime in church, busy bees, doing ministry, week in, week out, serving faithfully, attending meetings, but still carry within us that sense of, am I really forgiven? Is there really mercy for me? And you know what it does? It disempowers us. And it steals our joy. And it steals our freedom. And it makes us hold back from the things that we sense God's calling us to because we don't feel that we could do it or that we should do it. The shame is too much and we don't believe that God would choose us. Does that ring true at all? You know, we say no, for instance, when we get asked to serve on MAD. Or we say no to joining the worship team. Or we even say no to ourselves, to praying out loud. Or to showing any signs at all that we've been made free in Christ. It's disempowering. But Paul, in Paul we see that it doesn't have to be this way. And actually it shouldn't be this way. And he makes this extraordinary statement in verse 10. He's just said in verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle. And then he says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the undeserved, unmerited favor and blessing of God, I am what I am. And he says, and this is who I am, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God. You know, we normally think about grace in terms of kindness and forgiveness. um, But here it's about identity. Paul's saying, that grace has given him a completely new identity and he's totally secure in it. He says, I'm no longer that man, the one who violently persecuted the church. I'm this man, a servant of God. I'm not the me I used to be. God has recreated me. And if God says this is who I am, then this is who I am. And that's the truth. And therefore, by the grace of God, I can walk confidently in my calling as an apostle. Isn't that wonderful? That grace has the power somehow, mysteriously, to give you a brand new identity and to say who you were is no longer. It doesn't exist anymore. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And that's a promise not just for Paul, 
Not just for anyone you see in leadership in this church. It's for everyone. It's for you. The moment you put your trust in Jesus, you have a completely fresh start. That woke you up. A brand new identity. The old you and all the things you've done in your past, by grace, no longer exist. And so Paul can, um, so when Paul asks himself, can I really be forgiven for all that stuff I did in the past? The answer is a resounding yes. And Paul grabs onto that yes. And this is why I'm saying we need to embrace grace. He embraces the grace. He believes what the Lord says about him. And I wonder if there are some people here this morning and you know in your head that God forgives. And you've seen him do it for other people. But you just can't bring yourself to believe that he forgives you. And you may say, but you don't know what I've done. How weak I am. How often I failed. How can God forgive me? How can he accept me? And more than anything, how can he possibly even use me? And I want to say to you, if that's you this morning, if you're carrying this question in your spirit, let me tell you something Chuck said at conference this week. He said, God is relentless in his grace towards us. There's no limits to the fresh starts. God comes to us again and again and says, hey, shall we just start again? You know, I've got my mug here. Every day is a fresh start. Cheers. We need, to be, we need to be drinking from that every single day. Every single day is a fresh start. You know, God knows your past. He knows my past. And he knows and he still chooses us every single time. God knew Paul's past and yet he still chose him. And Paul called himself the worst of sinners. And I don't know if anyone in this room can you know, come close to what he did in terms of the church. Uh, there's nothing in our past that's beyond the reach of the grace of God. Isn't that good news? Brilliant. The front row agree. Anyone else agree? Listen, we don't deserve it, but he lavishes it on us anyway. And it's for every single one. Don't sit here and think, ah, but it's not really for me. Yes, 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 it is. And he wants everyone to embrace it. And we need to embrace the grace because... We're saved and called. And God has a job for each one of us to do. And we can't do it if we're hiding away full of shame. Amen? Now, here's my suitcase full of shame. It's rather nice. Pardon? Oh, thank you. Oh. This is my suitcase full of shame. Nearly. The word embraced means to clasp in the arms or to hug. Now, I don't know about you. Mark, can you come up here for a second? Any excuse to have physical contact? I don't know about you, but this hugs were never meant to be like this. No, no, no. One-handed affairs. This is not a hug. This is like, I don't know what this is. It's not embracing. It's more like bracing. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Hugs were meant to be like this, with both arms. Now, hold on, hold on. I've just got my shame here. Oh, man. Right, hug. No, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Listen, embrace with both arms means I need to put this down. I can't have it. I can't carry it. It needs to be put away so that we can do this. 
idea both arms let's embrace the grace let's just not do this one-handed thing and still be clinging on to our shame we're never going to be free like that we're never going to have the godly confidence to step into what God's calling us to do we need to get both our arms around grace do you know the enemy would have loved Paul to be so filled with guilt and so filled with shame over his persecution of Christians that he was never of any use to God And he wants the same for us. He wants to render us useless by piling on the shame. You know, one of the names of the enemy is the accuser. He comes and he whispers in our ear, shame on you. That's what he whispers. Wants to take the feet out from under us. Shame on you. But do you know what? You don't have to listen. You can say, shut up. And you can say, "Uh, Jesus comes and he whispers, shame off you. Shame off you. And his voice is louder. His voice is truer and stronger. It's infinitely more powerful and filled with truth. And he says, shame off you, grace on you. That's what he says. Shame off you, grace on you. And listen, church, if we're going to be all in for Jesus and his cause, we need to be people who embrace the grace, letting go of the past, letting go of shame, letting go of things that have identified us for far too long, and walk confidently like Paul does when he says, I am an apostle of God, called by the will of God, and walk confidently into our future with a brand new identity and freedom that we can say, by the grace of God, I am who I am. Let's let God tell us who we are. And let's let God tell us what he can use us for. And together, if we're doing that individually, man, what can we do as a church? Filled with grace and walking daily in grace. Yeah? It's brilliant. I have no idea what the time is. What's the time? 25 past. That was point one. Oh. All right. Click. If you're at conference, you'll get that. John and Ellie Mumford are the poshest people I've ever known. And I really wanted to speak like them when I'm preaching, but I want to say, do you see? Do you see? All right, what shall I do? Shall we just leave it there and have ministry time? It's only five minutes left. Oh, my goodness. All right. What was that? One more point. All right. Click. I like saying that. I feel really powerful. All right. Okay. Let's do this. So, oh, the middle point had all my best stories and all the all the jokes. Never mind. Okay. So, getting back to the text, it says, "But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect." In other words, um, it wasn't in vain. It wasn't fruitless. It it wasn't found to be for nothing. Um, he. He basically, Paul was saying, I'm not going to let your grace go to waste, you know, and so I am going to use, do everything I possibly can. And then he says, no, I worked harder than all of them, um, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. All right, where are we? It doesn't seem right, does it, that the words grace and working harder in the same sentence, we were just like, oh, that doesn't sound right, because we're taught, aren't we, that... Um, Grace, we're saved by grace, not by any works that we do, not by any striving. 
But we're not talking about salvation here. And we're not talking about any notion of working hard to pay God back. It's not a debt that we need to pay back. Um, You know, it's like, God showed me so much favor, so much kindness, so much mercy. Now I'm going to work super hard all my life to pay him back and to say thank you. But listen, God's grace does not put us in debt. God's grace does not put us in debt. Grace frees us. And you know what? We could never pay him back anyway. And nor does he want us to. Paul is not ashamed to say that he works hard. But what's he working hard for? You know, he's not trying to impress God. This is what he's doing. He's just working hard to see as many people as possible in his lifetime come to know Jesus. That's his hard work. And not only to know Jesus, but to become mature followers of Christ. He says in Colossians, Him we preach and proclaim that we may present every person mature in Christ. For this I labor. And I don't think he could find a more worthy cause to give his energy to, his time, um, his life. He's, he's all in. I mean, this guy is the definition of being all in. He was unstoppable for Jesus. His devotion was at another level. Listen to what he went through. Shipwrecked three times. Prison many times, snake bites, beatings, stonings, danger from rivers, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger from bandits, sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, lack of clothing. And then, funnily enough, at the very end of the list, he himself writes, on top of that, the daily inescapable pressure of my care and anxiety for all the churches. He bundled that in with all those crazy things that were going on. And yet... He labored on. And we think we have it tough. You know, Paul wasn't Bear Grylls. He hadn't had survival lessons, you know. He actually, scholars describe him as an ugly little Jew. That's some, you know, somehow, he's, he's a scholar. He, he's not used to the wild. Yet he labored on. So it seems like grace and hard work are actually friends, not enemies. And the very fact that Paul uses words like labor and work indicates that they're essential components of the Christian life. And some of you are saying, get me out now. Why did I sign up to this? He says, whatever you do, work at with all your heart. Don't grow weary of doing good. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor is not in vain. Some of you are getting weary just thinking about it. You're thinking, this is just not sustainable. I can't even get my kids to school on time, let alone anything else. And maybe you're wanting to get out the race at the moment. But you know what? In some ways it's not sustainable, apart from one thing. And you know what it is by now. The grace of God. Look at the second part of the verse. He says, yet not I. I worked hard, but yet not I. It's not really me. It's God. God's grace with me. He's saying God is putting his super on my natural and enabling me to do this. Paul seems to be saying that when you're doing the thing that God's given you to do, there's grace to do it. It's like God energizes our efforts. As as we work, he works. He gives us the work to do, and then he gives us the energy to do it. Do you know, sometimes when we're feeling tired, we we can find energy from somewhere. It just suddenly comes. On Thursdays at 8 o'clock in our house, when Mark's come home from work, and he's really, really tired, and, and a bit... To be honest, a little bit irritable. Can I say that? That's just the truth. Um, Not really wanting to speak to any of us. 
And uh, all of a sudden, it's 8 o'clock, and he comes down, and he's in his football kit, and he is pumped. It's like, well, where did that energy come from? It's true. This mysterious energy that just suddenly appears. Well, listen, it's a bit like that with grace. I'm not quite sure how it works, but there's this mysterious element to grace that when you lean on him, when, when you're always leaning and trusting in that grace, then you get the energy. Colossians 1, Paul says this. I've read it before. In him, uh, him we preach and proclaim that we might present every person mature in Christ. For this I labor. labor. And then he says, striving with all the superhuman energy which he so mightily enkindles and works within me. I'll I'll just read that again. For this I labor, striving with all the superhuman energy which he so mightily enkindles and works within me. He's saying we're superhuman, basically. And I think we need to start thinking about our costumes. I've got mine planned already. I know the colors. It says he mightily enkindles us. Enkindles means to set on fire. It means to inspire. He gives us a job to do. And then he gives us superhuman energy to do it. And he sets us on fire and inspires us to do it so that it's not forced out of religious obligation. That it flows from a heart that's just devoted to the Lord. And Chuck talked about being compelled. It's a compelling to be about the Lord's business. And you'll always find what you need. The Lord says, my grace grace is sufficient. If he's called you to do something, and by the way, that... Everyone is called to do their part. Everyone's called to be bringers of people, gatherers of people, making Christ known. And he's going to give you the energy to do it. And you might not think you've got the energy, but you do when you lean on him. And, you know, if you've become tired and weary and you feel like pulling out of the race, I pray this morning that you'll just have a fresh um, outpouring of his grace in your life that mightily energizes you to press on. Isaiah 40 says he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The Lord wants us to be exhilarated, not exhausted. He wants us to be exhilarated, not exhausted. And do you know what? There's a pattern here and it all comes back to grace. Grace saved us grace has given us a new identity the shame can be put aside grace called us we all have a calling on our life some are specific some is just a general call that we all have grace equips us which is the point that we didn't talk about but the grace equips us we all have gifts of grace on our life that we're called to use. And then finally, grace energizes us. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. It's never ending. And as a church, as we step out into the future of what what God has called us to do, we have to be people that are walking daily by grace. Otherwise, it will all come crashing down. We need his grace. We need to rely on his grace. Amen.